Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Blessings and greetings to all of you. It is a great pleasure for me to be here to proclaim the Word of God, to share the gospel message. Today I have entitled our sermon, Pray Your Heart Out. Pray Your Heart Out. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Pray your heart out. You see, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, is the continuation of a conversation. A conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. In Luke chapter 14, These disciples have heard Jesus explain to them the cause of discipleship. They heard him say things like, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Yes, Jesus said it. Yes, they heard it. And still, they wanted to be his disciples. Of course, we question critically, what does that mean to hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, and sisters, and yes, even one's life? Before one can qualify to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? The key is in that word that has been translated as hate. And that is misel. In the Greek, that word has been translated as hate. But in reality, the meaning that should have been there is one of the followings. Yes, it's true that that word means hate and could be translated as hate. But it also means the test to love less or esteem less. Therefore, the correct translation that should have been there is does not love less. It's to love less. Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even one's life, unless one does not love less these persons and things in our lives, we cannot be Jesus' disciples. But you see the Torah, which is called also the law of Moses, instruction, right? It's not just about 10 commandments like so many people feel it is all about. The Torah actually has 613 commandments according to Rabbi Moshe Maimonides. Out of those 613 commandments, 365 I consider commandments of prohibition or negative commandments. 
They are the ones that prohibit and say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and so forth. They are prohibition. 365. Out of the 613, 248 are considered to be positive commandments. And those are the commandments that tell us not by way of prohibition, but by way of commendation. Do this, do that, and do the other. Among those commandments, we find one in particular that begins with a promise. It is the first one the Bible tells us that it is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And that is, thou shalt honor your father and your mother. Therefore, it would be wrong just to say that Jesus is proclaiming the hatred of father and mother, of wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even one's life in order to become his disciples. No, that is not what he's saying. He's not be. He's not going to be contradicting himself. He is the truth and proclaims the truth of God. As we had read this morning, not only the Torah of Moses, but also the prophets are summarized into those two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. You see, love is the fulfillment of the law of God. Love, love is what qualifies us and welcomes us to the family of God. But first we need to have the, our priorities straight. First is to be God in our lives, in the lives of our families. We shall have no other gods besides the Lord our God. And the reason is to protect us against idolatry. So nobody could take God's place in our lives. Therefore, we honor by honoring our parents, our wife and children, our brothers and sisters, and even our own life when we submit to the kingdom of God, to God's will for our lives, for one another. We honor God as we honor our parents. And in fact, there is a promise of longevity added into our lives. You see, these disciples heard Jesus say many radical things. Jesus explained to them that the cause of discipleship also involves obedience. He said to them, whoever does not carry, that is to bear his cross, estauros in the Greek, and Matthew adds daily, and then adds follow, that is after me, cannot be my disciples. You see, from Jesus' perspective, obedience is better than sacrifice. Because many are called, but few are chosen. And Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But why? Because he said, why call me Lord and you do not do what I say? Notice this. The disciples Heard him say all these things, and yet they still wanted to be his disciples. See, a disciple in the Greek is a mathetes. It's a learner. It's a student. It's a disciple, someone who, is a, who has a teachable spirit. Someone who acknowledges that he or she cannot make it 
by himself or herself, acknowledging that there's a need for a didaskalos, that is a teacher, a rabbi, an instructor, a guide. And Jesus precisely wants to be that guy, that teacher, that instructor, that rabbi. And yes, he wants all of them to be his disciples. But first, he needs to confront them to make sure that they realize they know what they're getting into. Jesus doesn't want blind faith. Jesus wants receptive hearts and people who have the ability as his disciples to think. Because you see, that word disciple also involves discipline. And more importantly, it is where we get in the root form our word for math, mathematics. That is in rigorous thinking. That's why he says, before you embark into a journey with me, think about what you're doing. Why? Because it could cost you more than what you are anticipating. This is not a, I want to feel good journey, although there's a lot of joy in it. Yes, this is a journey where everything will not be happiness. Suffering will be around the corner. People who you know love you might reject you because of your following of Jesus. So Jesus is saying, please consider the cost before you embark. Because once you put your hands on it and you turn back, you are not worthy of me. Once you deny me, be sure that you might get away with that here. But one day you will be before the throne of God and I will deny you before the holy angels of God. So this is serious business. This is what Jesus is getting at. You want to be my disciples. Many people come for different reasons because Jesus performs miracles. Jesus is a nice guy. He heals. He listens to everybody. He does not discriminate. And that is correct. In fact, the religious leaders were upset with Jesus because they had to admit that Jesus was a friend to sinners, to the rejected, to the marginalized. And yes, Jesus would not turn away anybody who comes with a sincere heart unto him. It doesn't matter. And notice something particular. Jesus never chose as his apostles the religious leaders of his days. None of them. None of them. He rather would go with the tax collectors. Right? With the marginalized. With those that society said no good. But God says, yes, you are good to me. Because not about where you are. You see, because this is the beauty of our, our God. That our God does not consult our past to determine our future. Our God finds us wherever we are, but never leaves us as God found us. That's why when we were ostracized from the grace of God, God called us to be a part of God's family and welcomes us and received us just as we are, just as we were. And gave us a wonderful family, the family of God. Gave us angels to protect us and gave us promises for, of eternal life. That's why when Jesus' message was getting a little harder, Peter said, Lord, they are living. And Jesus says, what? Do you want to leave also? He said, no, Lord, we're not leaving. We're not going anywhere. Why? Because only you have words of eternal life. Notice, Jesus wanted to be that rabbi for them. 
But they must understand that being a true disciple of Christ could be costly. It could cost them relationships, jobs, possessions, and even their lives. Jesus wants his followers to consider the cost of discipleship. And based on that consideration, they make a personal decision accordingly. See, Jesus also knows that his disciples have physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. And that is what our text this morning in the Gospel of Luke is all about. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. You see, on their physical needs, Jesus was clear with them. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you worry about shall be added unto you. But God has to be first in your life. He knew that there would not be any problem there. But it would be in the priority of people's hearts where the work needed to take place. Now Jesus acknowledges that there's, there are additional needs besides the physical. There's the spiritual and there's the emotional. And Jesus says, you need to pray. It's nice when others pray for you, for me, for all of us. But it's wonderful when we can pray it also for ourselves. Jesus referred to them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. And he said, in New York City, that is, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that same city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. Simple. She's just saying, do your job. Do it. I have a need and that need has to be met. I have a need of justice. Could you please grant me justice? But before we get deeper into that request and search for justice, we need to ask ourselves, Jesus says that the need, our need, the disciples' needs are the needs to pray always. But where did prayer originate itself? That's a good question to ask. Where did prayer originate? First, I will have to submit to you that prayer originated in the mind of God, first and foremost. But humanly speaking, prayer originated or manifested in the Garden of Eden. How come? Well, notice that God saw that everything that God had done was good. But there was only something that wasn't so good. And God said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. In other words, Adam, 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 right? And in Adam, we just now found a, just a, a proper name. Right? That word in the Hebrew also means humanity, human being. And God is saying it's not good for Adam to be alone. Notice perhaps Adam did not even notice that need. But God already knew it and anticipated that. And in response, out of God's goodness, God provided and supplied that need by, by, by way to companionship through Eve. 
But notice what is curious is that in order for God to supply his needs, he has to be first going into anesthesia. God put him to sleep. And the Bible tells us that out of his rib, the wonderful lady was formed. Imagine that moment. He did not see her first. She saw him first. He's lying there, but she's ready for him. But he is not ready for her. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it wonderful that sometimes we have to go through certain procedures before we receive our blessing? Before we receive our, the answer to our prayers. Please view this spiritually. How I'm presenting this to you. But notice what happened when the challenges of life come. The first thing that this ungrateful Adam does is to blame the woman. And not only the woman, he blames directly God. Because the way he put it, he said, Lord God, the woman you gave me. <laughs> By implication, he's saying, I didn't ask for her. I did not pray. That was not my prayer. That was your idea. You handle it. I have nothing to do with this. And God said, really? Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting that that was your need, not mine. And now I have to pay because out of the goodness of my heart, I am here supplying your needs according to my riches in glory. Oh, I am to blame. From then on, God got the message and the memo. And God said, listen, I got your email. From now on, any human being who wants anything from me, even though I am aware of that need, you need to pray, baby. You need to pray. And you need to pray your heart out. Pray your heart out. So you can see what I'm getting at. We not only have physical needs, we also have a spiritual needs. But guess what? All of them involved a prayer. The resources are available, but we need to pray. God knows our needs, but we need to pray. Because later on, we are not going to be like Adam. Like Adam saying, oh, I didn't ask for this. No. While it's going well, whole glory, hallelujah, the honeymoon is awesome. But when trouble comes, oh Lord, no, that wasn't me. But you see, our passage tells us that as believers... The disciples need to pray always, not just when they feel like it, but always, and also not to lose heart. Hallelujah, and that's powerful. Because notice what hap what's happening in the text. This judge has been appointed. He's a political appointee who is not about justice, but about himself. A judge in the city that is there just to do what is convenient for him, what brings him comfort. This is a particular judge. Jesus says that this judge does not fear God nor respect people. And that, you can count, means does not respect the rights of the people. This is a judge who, from a psychological perspective, seems to be a narcissistic judge. And that makes him an educated fool because he's there to impart justice. But initially, he is refusing 
to do his job because he seems to be inconvenient. But we also find a widow. A widow who obviously by definition does not have a husband for sure. Who perhaps does not have children because otherwise the children would have been there advocating with her for her justice. But she realizes and counts not what she doesn't have, but what she does have. She realizes first and foremost that she has God. And as, as a result, she finds herself in God and she has herself. Number two, she has her mind, her ability to think, her ability to strategize. She has her body. She has autonomy. She has that capacity to take appropriate action. And she does. But no, notice something else. She still has an opponent. Imagine this. This is a woman motivated by her faith in God. And she seeks, rightly, justice. And she knows that justice is possible. But notice this. The odds are against her. She's a woman without a family, possibly. In a patriarchal society. All the odds are against her. And God forbid she was also a woman of color, right? She's, you know, but she is also there. Knowing that her God is heard and that God hear, hears her. But that she also has a voice and that she also has courage. And she also has valor. And that's why she does what she does. She did not care much for this particular judge who initially refused to do justice. She said, justice is possible and I will continue to come after and for it to ask this judge to grant me justice against my opponent until I get it. And she was persistent to the point that she almost became a pest. But notice what's interesting. While he refused the judge, to grant her justice on the grounds of morality, on the grounds of social justice. Later on, he found himself, listen, I got to do something because this widow, she keeps bothering me. And though I had no fear of God and I have no respect for person, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice. So that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Notice what's interesting. Without justice, there is no peace, correct? No justice, no peace, right? But we got to realize that those who struggle for justice may not always win, but they're always right. It has been said many times. We have learned from Dr. King that justice delayed is justice denied. We have learned from Frederick Douglass that if there's no struggle, then there is no justice. And this woman seemed to understand that very well. And she said, I'm going for justice. I'd rather go broke and go for justice than sit in my house and die for nothing. Because that is as Dr. King taught us. That either we star, stand up for justice or for, 
for anything. And she kept bothering and she kept persistence. Noam Chomsky says that no system can resist and tolerate in the long run a continuous protest. You see, people can tolerate, people in power can tolerate a march if it only happens one day, especially if it only happens on a Sunday. But if you go on Sunday morning and you begin to block that Brooklyn Bridge and you come back the following day and you do the same, on the third day, people are paying attention, a lot of attention. And this is what Christ is, the same principle he's putting for us to consider this morning. This woman understood the principle of persevering of going after your goals, after what you want, especially if you know that your goals are right. You, need, you see, when we know that something is right, we need to go for it with full force, with perseverance, with full dedication. That is what she did. And he was forced to negotiate, to come down, to grant justice. And notice what the message that Jesus says. Hear, listen to what the unjust judge says. Say, I do not fear God and I have no respect for anyone. But because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice. So that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Listen to that, the Lord says. He's just a political appointee, but he got to the point of doing justice. And then Jesus questions and tells his disciples, will not God grant justice to his chosen ones, to you, his disciples, to you who believe, to you who have followed me, to you who cry to him day and night? Will God delay long in helping them? Jesus says, no, God will quickly grant justice to them. And yet... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, there are things that belong to God and there are other things that belong to us. We are the ones who have the need to pray and not to lose heart. And sometimes it is easy for us to lose heart. Listen to what Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said in his sermon, Why Jesus Called a Man a Fool, back in 1967. Reverend Dr. King said the following. I don't mind telling you this morning that sometimes I feel discouraged. I felt discouraged in Chicago. As I moved through Mississippi and Georgia and Alabama, I feel discouraged. Living every day under the threat of death, I feel discouraged sometimes. Living every day under extensive criticism, even from Negroes, I feel discouraged sometimes. Yes, sometimes I feel discouraged and feel my works in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. You see, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we too experience discouragement as we walk this journey. Living in the city, we too experience discouragement. 
when we notice that our food pantry lines are getting longer rather than shorter. We feel discouraged when a pandemic hits us and people of color are the first one to hit the most disproportionately. That brings discouragement. We feel discouraged sometimes when our mortality rate is higher because we don't have access to proper medical care, health care. It's good to talk about let us reevaluate our healthcare system. But nobody seems to think about the possibility that perhaps the kind of healthcare that we need is the same one that our politicians, our congressmen, our senators receive when they get to Washington. Wouldn't it be awesome for all of us to receive the same kind of health care? So sometimes we do feel discouraged when we don't see that happening. When the good seems to be for some, but not for all. But you see, the kind of justice that we are talking about is not for some, it's justice for all. The Lord spoke through the prophet and said, what is it that the Lord, Micah 6, 8, what is it that the Lord requires of you? You know, God's told you. Don't say that you have to go to the moon, you have to go to the stars to find out what is it that God requires of you, human being, mortal. Love the Lord. Do justice and walk humbly before your God. Love mercy. Justice. And notice that that justice was, did not come to us with a last name, with an adjective added to it. But justice for all. You see, when we are in the struggle for justice, it has to be a struggle for all of us to receive that justice. Because as Dr. Kim pointed out, none of us, none of us will be free until all of us are free. You see, we need to pray our hearts out and not lose heart. There are moments where it's certainly difficult and bring discouragement. When we receive you know, unwarranted criticism, negative criticism, discouraging words from people who we admire and trust, sometimes those could be the most hurtful to us because they not only harm our motivation, they harm our spirit. But notice in the midst of it all, there is a solution. And we find that solution by what Jesus uh, tells us. Number one, he says, you have that need, continue to pray. Even when you feel like losing heart, pray and pray always. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are in need of God's intervention. Press, pray for the incarcerated. Pray for those who are suffering in your neighborhoods, in your cities. Pray for those who are sick. Pray for those who are seeking justice. Pray for those who are about to be evicted, but rise up and also advocate for them. And when there's nothing else that you can do, do what the psalmist did in Psalm 121st. Lift up your eyes unto the hills and ask, where will my help come from? And you will, answer, will receive the same answer. 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our shade at our right hand. The sun shall not strike us by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep us from all evil. The Lord will keep our lives. The Lord will keep our going out and our coming in from this time on and forevermore. So what are we to do? Let us pray our hearts out. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.